0: Let's give her a shower. Well, I'm not sure we can do that given this situation. Well, let's give her a shower, a baby shower at someone's home. Well, does that mean we are condoning the sin? As a church, we just can't look over this sin. What will we be saying? Well, What about the baby she's carrying? She's chosen not to have an abortion. I wonder if the baby will be up for adoption. Maybe someone in our church could adopt the baby. Will she still be allowed to come to youth group? Will she still be allowed to come to church? These were conversations that I was having With people in the context of our church, after we found out there was a teenage girl in the youth group who was pregnant. She wasn't a member, she just attended. She wasn't a Christian, she was at everything we did. There was one group in the church that said we need to figure out how to embrace her. We need to figure out how to minister to her. This is a perfect opportunity to share the gospel with her. And then there was another group who very graciously and with a lot of wisdom was trying to think through the issue and make sure we didn't just come across like we were condoning sin. And it was a very difficult conversation It was a very difficult time in my life as a new pastor. She wasn't a member again. She wasn't a Christian. There wasn't the issue of church discipline that could happen for unrepentant sin. We we, we didn't know how to deal with it because of that. But we were having to answer these questions. What were we going to do? We come off of the mountain with Balaam in chapter 25 of Numbers. And the same question is before us. It was the same question that was before Moses as he came off of Mount Sinai with the Ten Commandments and he found the people of Israel worshiping idols. Here, Balaam, we with Balaam come down the mountain and we find the people of Israel engaged, intimately engaged in pagan worship. And the question is, how are we going to deal with this? How is God going to deal with this? How will God execute justice upon his people while at the same time loving his people? How will God display his faithfulness without overlooking their sin and condoning their sin? First of all, we see in Numbers chapter 25, verse 1, we see the severe nature of their sin. And we see here the Bible is very graphic in describing their sin. And I'll just remind you as we read this, this is the Bible. This is the word of God. While Israel lived in Shittim, the people began to whore with the daughters of Moab. They These invited the people to their sacrifices of their gods, and the people ate and bowed down to their gods. Here we see this very graphic imagery to describe the sin of the people of Israel. The Bible doesn't mince words when it describes sin. The people began to prostitute themselves. The people began to pursue other gods. And we see the description here of their idolatry. It's described with these fellowship mills, these potlucks with pagan gods that is culminated in worship that involves engaging with Moabite prostitutes. That is how wicked their sin is. And we see here this sexual sin is the culmination of their hard hearts. It's the culmination of it. This unrestricted sexual climate is the outworking and the flesh outfleshing of their hard hearts. Now, it doesn't take long for us to concretize that. Because we look around in our own culture and we see this outworking of this unrestricted sexual climate. And the issue is for so long in our culture, we have overlooked the sin in our own homes. We have overlooked the sin in our own families, and now we see this perversion, sexual sin that is billboarded across our culture, and it is the outworking of our hard hearts. We live in a culture where sex is used to make money. Everything is sold. Hamburgers are sold with sexual content. Our economy is driven by sexual content. For so long we have overlooked it. And it is a display of how far we are as a culture. We think about the homosexual agenda. And we think about this display of how unnatural it is. How such a perversion of the marriage covenant it is. And it is a display in our culture of how wicked we are. Same thing's going on with the people of Israel. And you can't separate these two things. You can't separate their idolatry and their sexual sin. And you know why? Because marriage is a display of the gospel. The marriage covenant is a display of Christ's love for the church. And so idolatrous sin, you know what that's a display of? You know what adulterous sin is a display of? Unbelief. If the gospel is a display of faithfulness, then unfaithfulness is an indication of idolatry. Idolatry is the revelation of unfaithfulness, and we have to see our own sin in those terms. We have to look in the mirror and see our own sin as spiritual adultery. You come in here today and you say, oh, these are Moabite gods that they're actually bowing down to. This is Baal, this is Chemosh, and they're having these fellowship meals. I've never been involved in that. I've never been involved in sexual sin. But the point of the passage is, if you have ever bowed down to another god, you are guilty of adultery. You are selling yourself. You are selling your worship. You are selling your hopes and dreams to another God. And that is the picture that God is painting for us here of our own sin. How many of us come in here today and and, and we may not be guilty of such perversion in public? We may not be guilty of gathering with some cult over, the, over to the side and engaging in such activity, but we worship those numbers on our bank account. And we look to those things as what provides happiness. Our hopes and our dreams and our security is fulfilled in money, our jobs. We look to relationships and we think if I, if I can't get this relationship right, then, I, then my whole life will fall apart. Then I'm insecure. And we begin to bow down to these idols in our life that we would say have nothing to do with what's going on here. And yet, Christ, who is faithful to us at all times, and yet God, who constantly is fulfilling his promises, looks upon us in the same way that we look upon the people of Israel here, bowing down to idols who will never provide for you, pursuing, prostituting yourself to things that will never satisfy, ultimately things even in our own life that are to be used for the sake of the gospel, we replace the gospel with. We see the severity of their sin and then we see the judgment that God gives their sin. He displays, he says something very publicly and very clearly about their sin in the next few verses. Verse 3, Israel yoked himself to Baal or of Peor. Here, we've seen adultery, we've seen prostitution used to describe their sin. And now they are hitching, yoking themselves to these false idols, meaning they are working for them. They are longing after them, and now they are enslaving themselves to them. Instead of working for Yahweh, they are working for Baal. They are working for And then notice the anger of the Lord kindled like the fire of the sacrifice. It's kindling, it's smoldering, the anger, the fury of the Lord. Notice kindled against Israel. The last chapter, we saw all of the nations that Israel was defeating. God's justice kindling against them. Now it's toward his own people. And the Lord said to Moses, take the chiefs, take the leaders of the people, And hang them in the sun before the Lord, that the fierce anger of the Lord may turn away from Israel. I want you to take everyone who has allowed this to happen, and I want you to hang them. Literally, the text says, impel them, spear them, and set them before the people that they may see publicly the judgment for their sin. Notice Moses said to the judges, the leaders who are making decisions about the state of the people. This isn't a judge in a court. These are leaders of Israel set up to protect and provide for the people. Each of you kill those of the men who have yoked, again, enslaved themselves to these false gods. Baal of Peor. Here, there is this public display of justice. And why does God do this? Why does he display the leaders and all who are engaged? He does that to purge the nation of sin. He says, I want you to see what your sin is. I want you to see what this adultery is. I want you to see what this prostitution is. I want you to see what this idolatry is, and I want you to see what it causes. It causes death. Just like a few chapters ago, we have the serpent on the pole in the wilderness. They had been snake bitten because of their sin. Their sin caused death. He says, hold that serpent up, that thing that caused death, and you look to it and you will be delivered. Here, look at your leaders. Look at sin. Look at death and you will be delivered. There is this public display of judgment here that is meant to purge the people. The same thing we see in the cross of Christ. We see a public display of our sin lifted up. As Jesus publicly hangs out Golgotha, outside of the city as a common criminal. We look upon him and we see what our sin has caused in the cross. God is saying, you are an adulteress. You are an adulterer. You are an idolater. Why? Look at my love in the cross. Look at what I'm doing for you in the cross, and then look at all the gods you pursue. Turn from your sin and turn to me. Look to the cross and see who you are. Look to the cross and see what your sin is caused, so you might be purged of your sin. Now, some of you come in here today and say, Whoa, I I'm, I don't like the names you are calling me today. It's a little graphic. I don't like to be called those things. As a matter of fact, I don't think I'm that bad. I mean, I'm not as bad as her. I'm not as bad as that person that came to your mind. She's actually committed adultery. I'm not as bad as her. I mean, look at me. I'm at church today. I mean, I'm not that bad. And as you think that way, And as you say those things, you are committing idolatry. You are doing the very thing that God accuses you of. You are worshiping an idol whose teeth you brushed this morning. If you brushed your teeth. You are worshiping yourself. Do you see that? I'm unwilling to say I'm that bad because I love myself too much. I'm not going to say what God has said. Why? Because I determine what's good. I determine what's right. I determine the standard, not God. And yet God says, you are pursuing things that will never provide. Look to my infinite love on the cross. And yet we are found in public and we are found in secret pursuing these other things. And until we admit the nature of our sin. We won't know the justice of our sin, which we continue, as we continue, we see in the text. Notice, in, in the face of this display of justice and judgment, notice what happens. And behold, one of the people of Israel came and brought a Midianite woman, a prostitute, to his family. In the sight of Moses... And in the sight of the whole congregation of the people, there's this emphasis that he does this blatantly, that this is this bold, audacious sin before the community of God. Notice, while they were weeping, while the people are weeping at the tent of meeting, this man brings this prostitute to his house. This bold, audacious sin as the people are turning from sin. This gives us a picture of what our sin really is. We like to come and we think, my sin is just about me. My sin is privatized. My sin is individualized. It doesn't affect others. And what God is painting this picture here, what he is saying to us as he displays this, as he describes this, is that your sin is never privatized, ever. It always affects other people. This nation is being ravaged by what people are doing in private. See, we think what we do behind our computer screens doesn't affect other people. I would dare say your wife and kids would say something else. But we like to segment our lives. I remember I was meeting with some folks talking about internet security at our church. I just wanted to be sure our staff couldn't see things or even or even be accused of seeing things that maybe they didn't want to see on their computer. I remember one guy in the conversation goes, well, I would never do that at church. I said, well, how about I would never do that? He just outed himself. I would never do that here. But that's the way we like to think about our sin. See, to be truthful, he's just being honest. Because in our minds, we like to create safe places for sin. And how do we do that? In our minds, we say there are holy places where holy things happen, at the church, at BFG. That there are holy places for holy things, and we create that segment in our mind so we can feel good about unholy things in unholy places. Well, this doesn't affect anything else because it wasn't at church or it wasn't with the people of church or the people from church will never find out about it, so we create safe places for sin. Here, God is saying, You might as well bring the prostitute before the people of God. Paul in Corinthians would say, That's exactly what you do as a Christian. You bring Christ into the chamber of the prostitute when you sin in this way. That's exactly what's going on here. That's exactly what he is displaying for us. And that's the same reason so many of us in our hearts and our minds, we segment these things. And so we can vote for pro-life candidates and we can support them on Facebook. And we have this, this conservative views category of our life. And we want everybody to know us this way. I'm a Baptist. I'm a Republican. I vote for these people. And I do these things on the same computer where we commit heinous and wicked sins. Why? We think there's no connection. And what God is describing here is, oh, there is a connection. And there must be justice for all sin. And we see a man named Phineas here who takes this justice into his own hands. Notice the son of Eleazar, the son of Aaron, the priest, his grandson, who has been given the priesthood, will be given the priesthood. He sees what's happening and he leaves the congregation. He leaves the worship service with a spear in his hand. He's going to war. And he went after the man into his chamber, into his own home, and he pierced both of them, the man of Israel and the woman through her belly, in the act. Thus the plague of the people of Israel stopped. This is a man who sees sin for what it is, a blatant display of adulterous idolatry, and he puts it to rest He stops it out of this godly zeal. And we see so far there is a public display of judgment. And then there is an uncovering of what's going on in private for the atonement of sin. We see the justice of God here. Notice the plague stops. There are people dying because of this idolatry. There are people who are being judged before the people of God because of this adultery. And the plague stops. But we see in verse 9, nevertheless, those who died by the plague were 24,000. Imagine if God started judging people in our culture for this kind of sin. The people who would just drop dead. And yet, this man takes justice into his own hands and he goes to battle for the justice of God like a warrior and here we see God is saying to the people of Israel look you are killing yourself this is what you're doing to yourself let's just call it what it is you're killing yourself by prostituting yourself and now you know what he's saying you've been killed with a prostitute You've been executed as a prostitute, which again is what Jesus says to us on the cross. You are guilty of idolatry, and on the cross you are killed as an idolater in Christ. You are committing spiritual adultery. You are killed as an adulterer in Christ on the cross. And as humiliating as that is, the words coming out of my mouth, you're scooting around in your chair. You're thinking, oh, my gosh, let me get out of here. As humiliating as that is, that is to be freeing for you. That's to be freeing. You see, on the cross, Jesus says you're a sinner, (laughs) You can't have the cross without saying you're a sinner. You can't come to the cross without saying that's what I deserve. Because guess what? Jesus didn't deserve it. And on the cross, he is saying this is who you are. Jesus and everyone in here and everyone out there already knows you're a sinner. Stop trying to cover it up. Here there is this blatant display of what we've done and who we are. God sees it. Jesus sees it. Stop denying it. He's not shocked by your sin. And he's not unaware of your sin. Stop trying to cover it up. Many of us are on a PR campaign to just try to convince yourself and everyone around you that you're not as bad as the Bible says you are. And there is freedom and there is joy in saying, that's me, that's me. In the cross, I've been speared through for my sin. That's who I am before God. And this is a huge problem in the church. It's a huge problem. For too long, we've had preaching in the church that simply looks out there it says those are some bad people. Those are some people doing some bad things. Can you believe the world is going to hell in a handbasket? And never looking in our own eyes and saying, "Whoa, you are a bad person." But there's freedom in that. I hope you get that. Don't just hear the first part. I'm an idolater. No. Here, there is freedom in the cross, even for idolaters, even for adulterers. There is freedom in the cross, but you can't get to the cross until you first admit who you are. And so we come in here and we've got to say, this is who we are. This is what we deserve. Jesus says that's who we are on the cross by dying in our place. He dies as a criminal. He dies as an idolater for us, as a blasphemer for us, as one who has violated the will of God, even though he never did. What is he saying? This is who you are, but this is what you can have when you admit it. I wonder if in your BFG, It's more they than we. I wonder when you speak up in your BFG, it's more, I know someone who does this. I know people who think this way. Instead of, no, this is who I am, these are the sins I've committed. This is the way I think about life. This is the way I think about family. And it's wrong. And I need the gospel. I need Jesus to change the way that I think. I need the cross of Christ for the sins that I've committed. Not just they, them, those people, but I, we, us. We need the gospel. And until we understand that we need the gospel, we need to shut up about those people because our message has no credibility. And it means nothing. I used to worry when I first went into the ministry that just, you know, I was a teenager and did teenage stupid things and lived in a small town. So I said, okay, I'm going in the ministry. And I remember one of the first times I shared the gospel with someone at school, my senior year of high school. And he goes, but you're just like me. You you act just like me. You're not any holier than I am. You 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 just go to church on Sunday. And I remember going, oh gosh, I'm going to be a failure as a pastor. I can't even get someone saved, and you know I don't even know how this is going to work because people know me. But that's the point. Your greatest ministry opportunities or should be to those who know your sin the best. Because what you say is, yeah, I am just like you. Oh, by the way, it's worse than you even ever thought. It's worse than you've ever imagined. Yeah, no, 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 no. I'm not just like you. I'm worse than you. Because I know myself better than you know me. That's what the cross does for us. It publicly displays We are out it before God. We're out it while we're being executed for our sin. And it's done in Christ. Here we see this godly zeal for justice from this man, Phineas, with his spear. And notice verse 10, the Lord said to Moses, Phinehas, the son of Eleazar, the son of Aaron, he's turned back my wrath. This curse, this judgment that was coming on the people has been turned back by this one man. And notice, as we read earlier, why? There's this emphasis of jealousy. There's this emphasis of zeal. We usually think of jealousy in a wrong way. We usually think of this control freak who, who, who won't let his wife or his girlfriend go. We, we usually, that's the way we think about jealousy. Here, jealousy is described, jealousy for my justice, jealousy for my name. The same thing God is jealous for. He's jealous for his holy name among his people and here he finds a man who is jealous for the same thing and he executes and displays justice among the people of Israel in this very graphic way. And notice he gives him, verse 12, this covenant of peace, where peace is established before God, the sacrificial system. Why? Because he's going to uphold the justice of God. He believes in and hopes in the justice of God above and beyond the gods of the nations. He's jealous. He will make sure sin is punished, even in the sacrificial system. So he gives him the priesthood because he's jealous and he made atonement remember this word atonement the wrath of God is bearing down and yet there is sacrifice of another and the wrath of God is squelched the wrath of God turns away and what he says with the adulterer with the prostitute being executed God looks upon that as a sacrifice that this man has made for the people of God he's gotten to the heart of the matter and so he's given this perpetual priesthood. But notice as we continue, the name of the man who was slain, who was killed, the Midianite woman was Zimra, the son of Zalu, the chief of the fathers, the house belonging to the Semonites, And the name of the... Midianite woman who was killed, Kasbah, the daughter of Zer, who was the tribal head of the father's house. And why are these names important? Actually, the name of the Israelite means consecrated and protected. The name of the Midianite means adversary and liar. And what God is communicating here is despite the lies, despite the enemy, he has still set his people apart and he's still faithful to his people. And notice the text continues, and the Lord spoke to Moses and said, harass the Midianites and strike them down. Instead of allowing these people to overtake them, here God is still working for his people, and that should amaze you. It should absolutely amaze you. You know how often it is in my own life where I'm disrespectful to my wife or short with her and go, oh gosh, how in the world am I going to preach a sermon now? And yet God still works for his people. And I shouldn't be disrespectful. I'm not saying, oh, now I can be disrespectful all I want. Just be a jerk before sermons. Some of you wonder why I don't talk much before I preach. and That's why. But so often we commit sin and we think, how in the world could God use me? How in the world could God still use me? There are some of you in here today and your past is wicked and rebellious and scandalous. And you come in here today and you say, a retrain day, what can I do around here? And yet God is still working for his people, harass them, strike them down for they will, for they have harassed you with their wiles. They have beguiled you in the mat- matter of Peor, in the matter of Cosba, the daughter of the chief of the Midianite, their sister who was killed on the day of the plague on account of Peor. They deceived you. They tricked you. And yet I'm still going to use you to judge them for their sin. I'm still going to use this wicked, perverse people To execute my justice in the world. So we see here, God loves justice. God loves righteousness. Sin cannot go unpunished. Understand that. God can't say, I'm holy, and then look over your sin like it does. He's not the parent who makes rules and then never upholds the rules. If he is, he's a liar. And you can't trust him. If you can't trust God to judge sin, you can't trust him to fulfill his promises. He's inconsistent. So he loves justice, but he also loves his people. And so he's going to make sure justice happens for his people. And where do we see the climax of such love and justice? Amen, cross. Praise God. God's love for justice and his love for his people, as the psalmist says, kiss. He judges sin infinitely, eternally in his son. Sin is judged. And love is displayed all at once. All sin will be judged. Either in hell or in Jesus, you make the choice. You see, what we see here in this high priest is a picture of one who is even more zealous. Even more zealous for his people than this man who would impose in this tent and spear these two in the act. We have one who says, no, I will be caught in the act with you on the cross. Jesus says, I'll be killed as an, adult, as an adulterer. All the sin you've committed, Jesus says, put it on me. I will be caught in the act with you. He's not scared to identify with you. See, you're scared to identify with your sin. And Jesus isn't. The cross says he isn't. He died for your sin. That sin you don't want to confess, that sin you don't want to repent from, Jesus died for. It's not Jesus who's scared of your sin. It's you. Justice has been accomplished for your sin. And we have a high priest who is not afraid to identify with his church. He's not to identify with those who prostitute themselves after other sin. He's willing to be killed with her, he's willing to be killed for her. He's treated as an adulterer for her. Let that sink in. As zealous as you are for your sin, God is zealous to get rid of your sin, to deal with your sin. That's why he sent his holy, righteous, perfect son. So how do we deal with sin? Do we just pull out the spears and start knocking down doors? Turning over computer screens? How do we display such justice? Well, I think it's clear from the passage, the way that we display godly zeal, For the justice of sin is, first of all, dealing with our own sin. The gospel we preach has no credibility if we're simply pointing out the sins of others. It has no credibility. It doesn't make any sense. Remember the Pharisees who bring the prostitute before Jesus, ready to stone her? And and Jesus says this shocking thing. He who does not have sin, start throwing rocks. What's he doing there? Is he saying that's not sin? No. Is he, not, is he saying she shouldn't be stoned? No. What he is saying and what he is uncovering is what goes on in so many of our hearts. We don't want to deal with our sin first. That's why he says, get the log out of your eye. Before you go around and try to take specks out of other people's eyes, toothpicks. Why? You've got to deal with your sin first. You've got to do justice with your sin first. You've got to see the cross as your only hope and that drives the way that you deal with others. That's why many of us don't share the gospel. Why? We're not dealing with our own sin because if we deal with our own sin, then we're going to delight in the gospel and we're going to say, Jesus, yes, the gospel, I love Jesus and I love the gospel. It's the only thing for my sin and then we're going to tell others about it. See, the evangelism isn't you're bad you need Jesus no it's I'm bad I need Jesus come to Jesus with me that's why many of us are really frustrated as parents because we're parenting apart from the gospel how many of you parents are just burned out with trying to fix your kids you're just trying to fix them you got rules you got boundaries you got all these things that they they need to do and your kids look at you and go well, you're just, as, you're just as messed up as I am. Your kids know that you're messed up. What changes all of that? The gospel. The gospel changes it all. You're messed up. I'm messed up. We're all messed up. And we all need Jesus. And if we're functioning without the gospel then we're functioning with this issue of judgment and justice that makes no sense to the world around us. It makes no sense to our kids. We are yoking them down. We are putting burdens on them that make no sense to them because they can't meet our standard. But by the way, you can't meet God's standard. So you do have standards, but you have the gospel. The gospel fixes them and it fixes us. And we pursue this godly zeal for justice, the justice of our sin, the justice of others' sin, by pursuing others with the cross. You know what Jesus did? Nicodemus came to him at night. This religious leader didn't want to be seen with Jesus. Jesus told him he must be born again. But you know what Jesus was doing in broad daylight? He was sitting down at Wells with Samaritan women, adulteress. And he said to her, Go get your husband. Oh, I don't know what you're talking about, husband. Oh, yeah, you don't have a husband. And the five men you're with, they're not your husband either. Whoa. Out it a public display of sin. But then he turns around and he says, yeah, you're here at this well. I'm going to give you water that will never run dry. You See, religious folks like to go to Jesus at night while Jesus is pursuing the most wicked, rebellious of us in broad daylight. He's not scared of your sin. Therefore, you shouldn't be scared of the sins of others. You see, some of you are looking at folks in your life and you say, that situation is just too bad for me. If I have them over to my house, what are the neighbors going to think? If I take them out to lunch, I may not step up the next ladder, promotion, career. If I associate with those folks, I'm going to be identified as those kind of folks. Jesus was willing to be identified as your kind of folks. I wonder how the gospel transforms those you hang out with. The young lady I mentioned at the beginning, that situation did not turn out some sort of rosy gospelized fairy tale. Told her the truth about the gospel, pled with her to repent, pled with her to believe in Jesus, become a part of the community, ministered to her, Spent lots and lots of money on her, had showers for her, babysat the child who was born, took care of the baby, loved the baby, still loved the baby. And you know what she's done? She's lied. She's taken the money that we've given her and purchased things she probably shouldn't purchase. And we've looked like fools. Ministering to her. But here's the reality. I would rather look like a fool now than when I stand before Jesus and look foolish for eternity. Because here's the reality. Jesus was willing to be treated like a fool for you. I wonder how it changes the way you look at others, serve others, minister to others. We think about justice and we think about get the sword, get... The punishment get the judgment and let's go to work and jesus says no look to the cross look to the cross for your sin and the sins of others